0: Music mm-hmm. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Discourse on the Playlist Podcast Network, the show where we discuss film news, uh, reviews, television items, any other pertinent pop culture items that we feel the need to weigh in on. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today I have a very special guest, a returning guest from last week. He is the editor-in-chief of 812 Reviews, as well as a contributor to Mediaiversity, Robert Daniels. Welcome back to The Discourse.
1: Thanks for having me back, Ryan.
0: Very happy to have you back. Uh, So today... We're, we're definitely going to get into it. We're going to be talking about um, two, two films that uh, have hit limited release and they're sort of slowly expanding through the month of August. Uh, two very difficult films, but uh, nonetheless worth your time. Very excited to talk about them. Those films in question are The Nightingale, the latest from Jennifer Kent. Uh, as well as Loose, the latest film from Julius Ona. But uh, before we dive into those, a little bit of housekeeping first. The Discourse is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice, be it SoundCloud, be it Stitcher, be it iTunes, Spotify, however you get your shows. And you'll get this show as well as our other programs, including The Fourth Wall, Be Real, Indie Beat, and the various interviews that pop up on our site from time to time. And then before we get into the reviews proper, I usually like to ask our guests if there's anything they've caught up this week uh, that they recommend people check out. So, Robert, the floor is yours. Have you seen anything this week that you'd like to give a shout out to our listeners about?
1: So I just saw Angry Birds 2, which before you laugh, before you giggle, before you roll your eyes, I will say... I actually really loved Angry Birds. It actually ended up being a very great, you know, a very good movie, um, very good kids movie. A lot of fart jokes, a lot of butt jokes, but it's a kids movie. And actually, they do have a few. Actually, gets it, the film gets actually super dark at points, and um, has a lot of violence in it, surprisingly enough. But um, it wow. ends up being a great film. And there's a short that's playing before it called Hair Love, um, which I don't know if anyone knows about, but that um if you go see angry birds 2 get there early enough to see hair love it's a very 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 good short um by uh Matthew A Cherry um and it's just basically about this father and this daughter and he's trying to do her hair in the morning and it's a very it's a very touching about 7 minute short
0: oh wonderful that sounds lovely and and a nice little makeup for the fact that um the, uh, Pixar usually the like sort of reigning champion Of uh, animated shorts There wasn't a short in front of Toy Story 4 This year um, Rare for them so that's that's good to hear That's Angry Birds 2 and that's out next weekend Correct? August 16th? Yeah it is Awesome well be sure to check that out I've You hear Robert praising it And that seems to be the consensus going around That it's, that it's actually pretty good So that should be a good uh, Mid-August end of summer uh, movie For kids to check out um but it sounds like the fun the fun discussion is going to stop there for just a little bit as we <laughs> as we pivot into these films um so why don't we go ahead and just dive in uh let's start with the uh, the nightingale this is the uh latest film from Jennifer Kent who broke out big in 2014 Uh, with the Babadook. Um, This is her her most recent film. It debuted at the Venice Film Festival last year. Uh, It's made the rounds. It played at the Chicago Critics Film Festival, which is where you saw it, I believe. Um, Yes. Awesome. And I just caught up with it uh, recently. It has yet to expand to Seattle, but it will make its way there August 23rd, I believe. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the plot synopsis here from imdb uh set in 1825 claire a young irish convict woman chases a british officer through the rugged tasmanian wilderness bent on revenge for a terrible act of violence he committed against her family on the way she enlists the service of an aboriginal tracker named billy who is also marked by trauma from his own violent filled past um this this film is you know i think people a lot of people have been talking about it uh most notably that the film is is very brutal in nature it's it's very uncompromising it's very unflinching um and it's ultimately just about a lot but i will go ahead and pass it to you uh robert what what did you ultimately think of of the nightingale
1: yeah so um the nightingale was one of those films that i've been hearing a lot about um i i was at sundance when it played at sundance i missed it but um, when it played at Sundance, it might have been the most talked about film there. So when it played at Chicago Critics Film Festival, I knew I had to see it. And, uh, it is all the things that you have described, Ryan. It is unflinching. It is brutal. It's incredibly violent. Um, there are, I believe, three rape scenes in the film. Um, so, you know, if, no joke, if, if, if you think you might be triggered by anything, uh, by any traumatic memories or anything like that, that, it's going to be a hard watch. Um, now, I will say that the filmmaking itself is – I think it's fantastic. It's very different from The Babadook. Um But um, I think Aisling um, Franciosi is the lead as Claire, and she just gives a phenomenal performance. It basically what's a film that's basically a, um, a rape – I mean a, a rape revenge film. Um, and actually it's a two-way revenge film because Billy, um, who's the aboriginal tracker – Um, is also trying to take revenge against the white colonists who have been basically enslaving his people. So you have these two people who are kind of brought together who don't trust each other, Um, and and Claire and Billy, and they are going after this British officer who is basically the worst human being in the history of human beings. Um, This is a guy who believes that... um, the worth of a man is how many women he can rape, who he can kill. And that's about it. There's no redeeming quality to this officer. Um, I believe the officer's name is Hawkins, in fact. Um, and so it becomes a revenge against Hawkins, who's the, basically the, the, the worst version of misogyny and toxic masculinity that you can think of to the nth degree. Um, and the entire film uh, is a lot of blood. It's a lot of violence. It's a lot of rape, and it is a massive journey to go through.
0: Yeah, it's 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 certainly all of that. It, it's an incredibly difficult watch. I, I had I found myself. Um, I, I wish I got to see this in the theater, and and if it wasn't so uncompromising and hard to sit through, because I do agree. I think the filmmaking here is masterful, and I I think you know where we say about how how brutal and, and horrific this movie is. Um, but it's not purposeless um, whatsoever. And uh, it, but if it wasn't so difficult to sit through, I'd like to sit through it in a movie theater. But I found myself having to kind of take breaks watching it on a screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. or I'm just like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get a drink of water. I gotta like dodge away from this for a second. Um, yeah, it, it's ultimately, I, I think, what I like about this movie and what I, I think it has a lot to say. I, I feel like despite the the time and the place that the movie is set i do feel like it has a lot to say about contemporary society and contemporary america um specifically and it often feels to me like it it takes somebody not from this country to kind of show the real like ugliness of it and um I, i think that that's what jennifer kent does here um the God, I, I you mentioned the toxic masculinity uh, of Hawkins, uh, who's played by Sam Claflin. Who, my only sort of frame of reference for that actor is the Hunger Games movie. He plays like the the guy with, <laughs> the guy with like the trident. I think I don't remember the character's yeah. name. Yeah, but but like he is completely yeah, just horrible, irredeemable. Like never you know seen that type of. Um, I mean, not that I've never seen that type of performance, but like I, I didn't imagine that actor doing that um but specifically that one of the many scenes that made me uneasy is he sort of develops this relationship with a kid further down the line and just seeing the the potential passing on of these horrible traits to like a new generation that like nothing is learned like that was one of the more like oh god is this where this is going this this is like horrible
1: yeah well what i find um, intriguing about the film is just how it uses language. Um, the When someone's referred to a boy or as a man, because Billy and all the other Aborigines, they're referred to as boys, even if they're... Um, there's the the very... I can't remember his name right now, but the very old tracker that Billy uh, enlists... Um, not, not Billy, that Hawkins enlists um, in order to get him to... I believe he, they're traveling to another outpost, because... Hawkins didn't get the promotion that he wanted um but he this guy might be in his 70s or so and he's calling him a boy whereas with uh the kid that you referenced um there's a couple moments where you know, he says this is your chance to be a man or uh one of the other young soldiers when um the first rape scene when he doesn't want to participate in it um or he's kind of squeamish about participating in it uh he does the same thing you know make yourself into a man so it's very interesting how Kent uses language between man and boy um that not just uh, taps into toxic masculinity but also taps into just this very long lineage of that usage within even um American black slavery
0: well yeah that's uh, let's kind of I was just about to get to that because of the use of language for that insinuating that this older man that he uses boy, you know, derogatorily towards him, that there's, there's no, in his eyes, there's no chance for man. There's no chance to move up to that stage of man.
1: Yeah. And that's what makes the, um, and I don't know if we're going, if we could do spoilers now, but um, I'll try to keep, uh, keep away from it. But that's what makes the ending so amazing is that you see Billy, Reclaim the title of of man, you know, by reclaiming his past.
0: Absolutely. Um, If you want to, we can definitely dive into spoilers and I'll I'll put a note here for our listeners that we, we are going to do that.
1: Um... Yeah, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, All right,
0: we're going to put the little spoiler tag here going on, so we're going to get in some spoilers for The Nightingale starting right now. Fast forward to, uh, we'll put the timestamp in the notes as well, so go ahead and fast forward to The Loose Discussion uh, if you want to skip it. But we're going to get into spoilers starting right this second.
1: Oh, I've heard of this flick. There's a twist in it, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Just, just try and forget that, and hopefully we'll still be able to enjoy it. I bet he's a woman, that bloke. No. You think it's the future, but it's actually said in the past. It's not Earth. It's all a dream. Oh, could you not, could you, could you not try and guess what the twist is? Yeah, so the ending where Claire and Billy, they finally found Hawk, find Hawkins in this town. Hawkins is yucking it up with his, his comrades, and um, it's pretty clear that his comrades are going to do anything to to punish him, so when Billy decides that he, the Aborigines culture, which the the British colonists have, or the British uh, army has banned, he is going to get into his war paint, he is going to find um, weapons, and he is going to have himself a good old down. Um, and he is going to go in and take out Hawkins, and it is a moment where Billy... Because the whole film is about Claire's revenge. It's a, it's about Billy facilitating Claire's revenge. And if it had been only that, I think the film would fall into, you know, the magical Negro trope of we've got the... And I even though he's aborigines, this is not exactly what we call Ameri- American black, obviously. Um, but it would fall into that trope a bit of of the black character who's only... Use is to help the white character into their ends. Um, but instead, if Billy gets a chance to reclaim his what he his quote unquote manhood is his culture and just fears Billy, I mean, fears Hawkins in one of the, I think, the most um cathartic scenes probably of the film.
0: That's that's where the movie like. I don't know if one you over is the right term for a movie such as this <laughs> but but uh I mean I mean it never didn't it it's not that it never had me uh gripped throughout but I I have to agree I I thought that would ultimately be the sort of um fulfillment of of Billy's character and that would have been disappointing but the the fact that he has that moment and then the, that just beautiful moment on the beach uh, of like that reclaiming of of that title is is um really masterful and i think that just you know goes to show how smart kent is as a filmmaker because she realizes that like yes of course we're we're put in in like claire's journey and her shoes and her revenge and like it it needs to happen like it's completely justifiable what happens to her is is horrible but she doesn't forget that you know what happens to billy is just as bad and that he, he is deserving of that revenge. And it's like you said, incredibly cathartic.
1: Was there anything else that stuck out with you with the film? The,
0: the cinematography really stuck out to me as well. Like I, I, I think like not only is it, it a gorgeous film, but like I, um I, I like how sort of, um you know, I is, it's weird to say, but I like how kind of bleak and matter of fact, the film is because when you're revenge, is so like it's such a common narrative I feel in in um, in genre filmmaking and so because of that it does occasionally feel a little bit um, sensationalized and sometimes that is okay sometimes that's fun and other times it's kind of numbing and you're like what what exactly are we doing here and so you know despite how, horrific the film is i I think like the the bleakness and the subject matter uh match and go hand in hand and and i like how sort of unstylized the film is how unromanticized it is uh in the vein of a revenge film um so i that that really stuck out to me and i i really appreciated that
1: and well actually to go back to to aisling franciosi's performance um i i just I always love when you can see the performance and the posture. And if you look at Franciosi's posture, like she throughout the entire film is pretty stiff, like hunched a little bit. You know, she's pretty wound up and um, so much you can, you can almost see the pain and the hurt within her body and the way that she carries herself. And for someone who like really didn't have, any knowledge of her career i know she was on i believe she's on game of thrones and i'm not really a game of thrones person um she just impresses as claire i mean it's just really a fantastic performance i'm surprised more people aren't talking about right now yeah i'm surprised
0: too and i i'm wondering if that has to do with the sort of slow rollout of the release and and the fact that most people probably haven't gotten a chance to even see this movie uh yet uh, unless they saw it at a festival because it's mostly i think just playing new york la and some other larger cities but i i'm but even in our circles i'm surprised more people aren't talking about it and and uh billy and god i hope i do not butcher this guy's name and apologies if i do um bakali ganambar i hope that i did that right i may not have, i think that's but, pretty close
1: yeah but but <laughs> that he's pretty
0: close but i i had haven't seen him in anything and i thought like that's such a fantastic performance too like i i really liked that like his performance it pretty much the whole i'd say core three like even though as as awful as as the hawkins character is i think sam Claflin is also like he's great at portraying that like horribleness and and so i i think that you you know, there's just a great trio of of lead performers here.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, Bacalli that was his that's his debut film, that's his debut role.
0: Oh my god, I didn't I should have done my research. Wow, that's I would not have guessed that.
1: That's <laughs> It's just an amazing <laughs> performance uh, for for a newcomer.
0: Absolutely, no, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about his either. And so that's why I wanted to talk about this movie mostly is because it, it is slowly making its way out to people but but slowly is the the key word there so um you know for for people listening if you get a chance to see this soon like highly recommend that you do it it is it is all the things we've said it's brutal it's uncompromising it's hard to sit through might be triggering but i think it's it's a pretty i mean it's an ultimately rewarding movie despite how much you have to sit through
1: yeah yeah no and i think the I think the main reason the studio's probably slow rolling it out is just because of how unflinching and, and it is, you know, and knowing, I mean, that's, this is not a film you're just going to drop a wide release in the first week. <laughs> no, not at all.
0: And, and I think, and, and the other thing too, like credit to IFC, who, who's the distributor putting this out, um, because they, they, they go back and forth. Sometimes they'll do a slow rollout like this. Other times they'll, they'll do like a day and date VOD release. Um, but, but to me, this this tells me that they're, they believe that this belongs in a movie theater, that this belongs to be seen on the big screen, that it's something to sit through, it's something to endure, um, like that it's worthwhile to do so. And so I, I credit them for that. But yeah, it's not one of those. If this came out wide, it's, it's one of those that would have, you know, debuted outside the top 10, would have been gone by the time we're getting to it right now, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, do you have any other. Sp- like specifics you wanted to get into on the film before we move on to loose
1: no i think i'm pretty good
0: i am too well that is the nightingale it is slowly making its way uh out it is it hits seattle area august 23rd which i believe i mentioned do you know when it hits chicago if it's not playing there already
1: um i don't know actually
0: interesting i it, i would guess it would probably hit either this coming friday or the same friday as seattle that seemingly pretty comparable markets but um uh, maybe maybe in the interim i'll look that up and we can uh, i can put that in the show notes somewhere but cool let's uh let's move on to uh loose a another difficult film to discuss uh this one um it debuted at sundance which you you saw it there correct Yes, I did. You did, and it and it also played Chicago Critics. This one has made the festivals quite a bit. Uh, this is the latest film from Julius Ona, who I think most people probably would recognize as the director from uh, The Cloverfield Paradox. It's probably his most known film. Uh, I know he did one before that, and, and the name is escaping me. But I will also go ahead and read the plot synopsis for this film from IMDb. A married couple is forced to reckon with their ide- idealized image of their son adopted from war-torn after an alarming discovery by a devoted high school teacher threatens his status as an all-star student it stars naomi watts octavia spencer tim roth and a i won't bury the lead terrific performance by uh, kelvin harrison jr as the titular loose um but we were talking a little bit off mic robert you said you've seen this movie about five times at this point
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes i have um i i saw this movie at sundance at the premiere Knowing nothing about it, all I knew was that Octavia Spencer was in it, and I was like, Well, Octavia Spencer usually has a good nose for scripts, I'll show up, I'll see what happens. And I have been talking about this movie from with anyone who listened since Sundance. For me, it was the best film at Sundance. Um, and god, it's just amazing, <laughs> you know, after seeing it five times, I noticed. Little bitty things every single time, but um, you are correct. Kevin Harrison Jr. is just utterly fantastic in it as Luce. Um His performance is kind of reminds me a lot, actually, of um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya in a uh, in um and Get Out. Actually, Octavia um, Spencer is probably the best performance of her career. It's definitely the most layered uh, character she's had in her career. Um, no more the best friend. Now she's on the border of being the villain in this film, and a film that really has no villains, if you, if you very much uh, analyze it. Um, Naomi Watson, the comeback performance, Tim Roth's amazing. It, every actor in this takes it to another level. Um, and a film that really has a lot of questions, but no easy answers. it is in, It is unflinching in a different way from The Nightingale. It goes through subjects of um the exceptional negro uh tokenism um uh rape culture and uh, the mystery at the center of it the in of a film that really i mean borders on the edges of horror in in many respects um is it's just amazing It, it very much is a rorschach test for its audience i think um and depending on the conclusions you jump to very early in the film, it, can, it, it tells a lot about the biases that we have and the institutionalized thinking that we have as viewers. Absolutely.
0: I mean, that's, that's something that took me from the very beginning and, um, you'll, you'll have to forgive me slightly. I just watched this movie for the first time this afternoon. So I have, I don't have the five viewings to, to go off of (laughs) here. Um, but I, I can, I can echo everything about the performances are fantastic. And there's, there's so much to unpack in terms of, in terms of, like you said, tokenism, in terms of identity, i didn't think of the get out comparison but i like that's a very very good comparison to Daniel a performance as a movie as far as a mystery to another point of comparison i thought of was um was burning the the uh, korean film from last year like that that reminded me a lot of that of of sort of like raises a lot of questions no easy answers um and you're sort of um you're sort of informed by the preconceptions that you have brought into the movie. And it's, Oh man, this, this is, I think just one of the best movies I've seen this year. One of the best screenplays. uh, I should also shout out. uh, It's also based on a play um, by JC Lee, uh, who also co-wrote the screenplay with Julius Ona. And I feel like you could tell, like even if you didn't know this was a play, which I didn't until the end credits rolled, it has that feel of like sort of minimal locations, very small, like character piece, uh, you know, minimal characters, but... um, it's it's really just it's gripping um and i didn't know what to expect i still didn't know even today like i knew people were talking about this movie but i had no idea going in exactly what it was about um and i'm glad i didn't to be honest (laughs) like i i feel like that helped (laughs) helped more um you know not knowing and not coming in with any sort of like preconceived notion uh and just sort of getting washed away with it because like you know there, there's been so much sort of just empty spectacle this summer which I think we talked about on a, a different episode of the Discourse and to me um, you know I, I don't want to dive into spoilers just yet maybe we can for this as well but um the, the sort of confrontation scene between five key characters as the sort of like almost you know like reminded me of a scene in the social network of just that like back and forth like he said this she said that and um like to me that was more gripping and intense than like any action sequence i've seen this summer it, it's 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 incredible
1: yeah i mean just about every component of this film works uh even even the the portions that it feels like weren't meant to happen um the film is is shot i think it's on 70 millimeter um and julius ona the director was asked at sundance at the sundance premiere why it was on 70mm if he was trying to uh, imitate the um, if, if just a horror aspect. He said, no, I shoot everything on 70mm. It just so happened it worked for this one. <laughs> so, uh, so even the happy coincidences like that this just works out. And um, one of the things I absolutely love about this film is also the score. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> the score is just so amazing in this film. Um, it's by Jeff Barrow Ibero, and Ben uh, Salisbury. And how and that's one of the horror aspects of it. it's this organ kind of um, half note kind of thing that's happening at the beginning. And then at some point, there's this almost like rhythmic, um, I want to say like marching band kind of bass kind of going on. And um, it's it, it just keeps up the pace of what's happening to the point like where it is a it's a borderline thriller, to be honest, for, you know, for something that's. Very much kind of almost a slow burn mystery.
0: Absolutely, which is why that's that's where like I thought of burning, like specifically, like not necessarily in score, but just of that slow burn thrillerness um underneath like a, a sort of character drama. Um, yeah, I I thought that that was just exquisite.
1: We've seen a few films over the last few years and we were just you know, talking about how the Nightingale kind of upends the exceptional Negro trope. And you've seen films like Green Book that really feeds into it. Um, uh, scary Stories to Tell in the Dark has an exceptional Negro in it, too. Um, and Magical Negro, in fact. Um, but this actually loose deconstructs that completely, where. The character of Luce is very aware that he is the the token, that he is the exceptional Negro, and very, and throughout the film, um, it's it's not even so much because the 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 crux of the film is that he's trying to get revenge against Harriet Wilson, who Octavia Spencer plays, um, because she expects him to be something, or you know she uh bad mouth of is his his former girlfriend stephanie Kim um what he's really doing is is uh rebelling against just the very trope of an exceptional Negro and he's trying to show how he's not while well, trying to keep it all together um and it seems like every moment that he's on the the, the his characters on the screen um he's poking holes within that trope um and i'm i'm some of the examples are escaping me right now, but they'll come as, as we continue talking about it.
0: Oh, sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the tension of the movie is he just is, is, is like, if I, you know, that, that trope of like, if I fail one time, which is like just suppose with um one of his uh, uh, track mates um, and that, that's also part of the re- revenge he's trying to get against Octavia Spencer's character. She busted one of his track mates for having pot Um, and so like that sort of idea of like, you know, you get one shot and then if you blow that shot, then it's like, everything is blown. His scholarship is blown and just trying to sort of upend that, like, Hey, like there should be questioning that idea of like, Hey, why are there no second chances? Why is the system built to only give you that one single chance?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, he has like a few lines, like you know, um, where he accuses Octavia Spencer's character, Harriet Wilson, of of trying to protect the idea of him. And Harriet Wilson says repeatedly, "Luce is too important for this school," and it makes you wonder: Is Luce too important for the school, or is he too important for quote unquote his race? You know, to be that emblem, to be that example that says that oh, this is the height that black people can can rise to. And it it feels like sometimes that um, it's it's not that Luce doesn't like being the smartest guy in the room. He doesn't like being the smartest black guy in the room.
0: Oh, sure. And then the, the other like, you know, complicated shade that I, I really appreciate about this movie is like, especially with Octavia Spencer's, not just like performance, how it's, it's subtle and, um, you know, isn't overtly villainous, but there's there's a, another character we haven't touched on is her sister, her sister Rosemary, um, played by Marcia Stephanie Blake, who's uh, been checked in and out of rehab multiple times. And so that sort of informs her decision of like, here's here's the bad end of something that could happen and expects higher of her students because she doesn't want that to happen. And so like that's informing her decision of, um, Maybe to, like, an extremist view, but, like, it it at least adds that that dimension of complication.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if she's getting out of rehab. I think she has a mental illness. Oh, is that what it – okay, my apologies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She has a mental illness, which that's another thing this film taps into is how we treat people with mental illnesses because there is one scene. (laughs) Yes. And I don't know if it's a spoiler scene, but, oh my, it it is a hard-to-watch scene – um that take really i mean well ironically takes no prisoners um and i don't know if you want to talk about that at all before
0: <laughs> <laughs> well we could just uh, uh we could actually swing into some spoilers if you'd like to let's go ahead and do that i mean we could just say stop that right there and say yes that scene takes no prisoners for sure yes <laughs> um and then just lastly i would say before we swing into a spoiler section uh if it doesn't sound like it already um like go see this movie when it opens near you. I, I know it's put out by Neon. It is. It is also slowly expanding uh, throughout this month. Um, please go see it when when you have the opportunity. But let's go ahead and swing into some spoilers for Loose, starting right now.
1: Oh, I've heard of this flick. There's a twist in it, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Just just try and forget that, and hopefully we'll still be able to enjoy it. I bet he's a woman, that bloke. No. You think it's the future but it's actually set in the past. It's not Earth. It's all a dream. Oh, could you not? Could you? Could you not try and guess what the twist is?
0: Uh yeah, so that scene uh is this is just like that was the scene uh, uh, where uh yeah, I I just like like I, I sunk in my chair through a lot of the movie just out of sheer tension. But that was the one scene where I was just like, "Oh, oh no, 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 no!" Like, um, like this is where everything's gonna collide and potentially careen off course for these characters. Um, and, and that was that was uh, very very upsetting to watch.
1: You know, honestly, that scene, I've I've watched it five times, and each time I cannot. Completely reconcile the relationship between Luce and Rosemary, Harriet's sister. Um, and it feels like there's no relationship with them whatsoever. It feels like he's they they just bump into each other at the supermarket. And yeah, he's trying to get under Harry Wilson's skin, but you know it doesn't feel like he has any ill will toward Rosemary. And yet it's like the film just it nudges that idea just enough you to how did she get into this school? And when she goes into that school and she, you know, strips naked and she's asking for uh her sister Harriet to to claim her, to say, I'm your sister, you know, and then the police come in and taser, you know, a complete and for someone who was clearly nonviolent, just an over overreach of power. Um it, it, there's there are two different threads going through it. There's Black Lives Matter in terms of, you know, the escalation by police against um, anyone who's of a dark complexion. And then there's also how we treat mentally ill patients, you know, that there wasn't even a thought of trying to talk this person down. It was, we are going to tase this person. And then I think one of the the most arresting um, images from the film is the way Marsha Stephanie Blake acts at, and when she gets stunned and how her body goes limp as they drag her out, is just, it's just uh, I was, I was literally, it's taking my breath away every single time. It's, it's deeply upsetting
0: at like, there's, there's no question. I, 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 I just couldn't like, yeah. I mean, like, you pretty much articulated that perfectly of like the two things intersecting that just collide in a way that you're like, Oh, why, why do we deal with both of those subjects in such a poor, poor manner? Um, and then, and then, you know, that, that's the first thing is just, just violent uh, resolve as opposed to, to the opposite.
1: Yeah. And then, I mean, there's just so many, that's the thing. Amazing thing about this film is there's so many things or so many components. It's just stuffed within this so many questions and, and it feels like, and I, I said this during Sundance to a colleague, I was like, it feels like every film that's been made, mostly every film that's been made about, you know, diversity and representation has almost kind of led to this, like these kind of questions being answered in this open of a forum where we have like, you know, Stephanie Kim's arc um, where we're not sure, you know, we're sure she was, she was sexually assaulted. We don't know how, if she was raped. We don't know who raped her, and it's intimated that maybe even loose raped her, you know, but um then we have like how do we treat rape culture? you know, where um for all for, for, for as far as we know, none of the boys at that party have been charged with anything, no one has been suspended, no one has lost a scholarship. Um, and yet here's Harriet Wilson in class. You know who's calling out Stephanie Wilson in a passive aggressive uh, Stephanie Kim in a passive aggressive manner. You know, like you know, women have to be strong; they have to protect themselves. Um, So then there's there's that current running through in the background as well.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That that was like one of the you know um, I I wouldn't say confusing necessarily, but like one of the threads that kind of had me like really trying to dive in of like you know what what happened there and then like the other like even greater complication i mean we, i guess we're in spoilers we can talk about it it's like sort of after the big climactic moment of the movie and and loose's mother is trying to figure out um you know what he's doing in in the wake of after these fireworks go off follows him into this cabin and uh loose and stephanie kim are are having having sex in there but it's like you know the you there still was an unanswered question of like, is this a sort of, you know, is this consensual or is this like become like, like a, uh, you know, abuser, abusey relationship. We, we don't know. We don't
1: know. Yeah. And Luce is portrayed as, as basically a puppeteer throughout the entire film. And it's so difficult to know, like, well, is, is this emotional manipulation? Is this purely what this is? You know, because, um, Luce is the one who, who tells stephanie kim not to tell anyone that's fine not to tell anyone and um loose's mom questions well is loose trying to protect you know his friends and my question is uh, i've always thought there was a third question there's loose trying to protect himself as well is he trying to protect himself stephanie kim or his friends and once again a film that offers no easy answers there's no answer off there whatsoever it's literally your interpretation of of what's there and it could go very much either way of whether loose is this person who actually does care about stephanie wanted to take a break and now that this whole ordeal is past him he wants to rekindle the relationship or if he's this puppeteer who's been using her the entire time who gets her to come to which we're going to be talking about a little bit that meeting that right. person meeting you know and basically you know a, uh uh Masquerades as a stool pigeon before she she takes herself out of it,
0: right? Which is like you know good, regardless of the outcome. Good on her for ultimately kind of decide. Well, I, I guess I was gonna say maybe not. I was gonna say good on her for deciding to get out of it. But then again, like is that a is that a loose puppeteer thing? Is that a hey like at this opportune moment get out of here? Like we we don't know whether or not he said that. But then yeah, it leads to this final confrontation uh, between Luce, his parents um with between octavia spencer and the principal it with the principal like demonstrating demonstrating the the pure sort of like uh you know as you've mentioned like the tokenism where it's like he, you know loose has these alibis set up for all these aspects that happen and any you know he puts on the the uh you know a show of like you know Octavia Spencer's house gets vandalized, and so like the 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 alibi of that is uh, what was it a Snapchat that they were at a four twenty celebration, and he's like, oh, this is yeah. embar- this is embarrassing for me, <laughs> yeah, he's like, this is embarrassing <laughs> for me, like you know, don't tell anybody, and the principal's like, oh, you guys are good kids, I so won't tell anybody, and it's like, you know anybody else like anybody else they'd be like okay we got to look into this or we have to Mm -hmm. like you know there's going to be some sort of suspension or fine or something involved and it's like oh no no it's okay you guys are good kids um oh go ahead sorry
1: the the, the principal has that line that i think every single time make me cringe and it's great writing and uh he says uh uh when before lou starts the, the 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 debate practice he says that's why he's my thoroughbred yeah oh god yes oh that was so
0: so cringy and it's like the principal has zero self-awareness towards like the the implications of what he's saying even though he's saying it like oh god yeah that that scene that was another scene that got me too not just like it set the tone by him saying he's our thoroughbred but but the the direct interrogation of harriet wilson like the the fact that that harriet and Luce both know exactly what they're talking about to one another but no one else in the room knows that they're assuming they're talking about this debate case but they know exactly what they're referring to
1: yeah there's there's always a there's the conversation that's happening and then there's the the surface level the surface level, and then there's there's the uh, the undercurrent of what's happening.
0: Yeah, which is just just. I, I think you already said it too. It's just great writing. It's just fantastic <laughs> writing all the way around. Um, God, I'm trying to think of another like specific example. Did you have another like specific you know scene in 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 you know that that sort of articulates
1: that? Let's see. Well, I I I do love. Um, and maybe it doesn't well, it doesn't articulate that, but what I love is the final confrontation between Harriet Wilson and and Luce, um, because so much of the film is everyone talking around everything. You know, it's mm-hmm. no one knows what the truth is, and that's part of the tension of the film. And then for that final conversation to be, I mean, I was talking to a few people, and I said it's a very, very, very black conversation that usually happens behind closed doors as being, that's happening in front of a white audience that's actually, you know, watching it on on the screen um of Harriet Wilson and Luce talking about what their responsibilities as black people are. Um and it's it's so telling because I'd say for the last third of the film, Harriet Wilson is the villain. And then for that that last little bit, it's like JC Lee and Julius Owner reminds you that, you know what, Luce might be part of the villain too. <laughs> partly the villain too, where Harriet Wilson's questions them, you know, who who's doing all your dirty work while you're setting up alibis, you know, is is accusing him as being the manipulator and the puppeteer and the person who, you know, as even though Harry Wilson is the one who's deciding who succeeds and who fails, he's putting these people in a position where if they fail, I mean, we've already seen um, his friend um, Meeks who got kicked off the track team just for, for weed and lost the scholarship. You know, imagine if one of his friends had been caught trying to set up an alibi for him.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Then they would have been, you know, just as screwed as Meeks or if it was Meeks doing it, then he would have been, you know, maybe, you know, uh, expelled or, or worse, you know, after being caught with weed. So that's, yeah, that scene, that scene gutted me (laughs) to (laughs) to say the least. Like, like that's, that's, and, and and what I love about that scene, it is, um, you know, it's, it's the one, one of the the few moments in the movie where the undercurrent becomes the overcurrent but it still doesn't offer all the answers to the movie like it still it still leaves so many questions unanswered but you know does get to the heart of their conflict and it's it's um it, it it's both like just emotional and unsettling all, all at the same time
1: yeah yeah um, and, well and there's also man, there's so many there's just so many components of this film you know there's also the whitewashing of culture um which is I and mean, we haven't talked about Tim Roth and naomi Watts' characters um uh amy and peter edgar uh luce's f- uh, mother and father um but the fact that you know the other line always makes me cringe is the you know they couldn't pronounce his name so they gave him the name Loose. <laughs> that, yeah, that made me cringe. And then the
0: other like sort of um, you know the 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 uh, implications of white knighting, which definitely happens a lot. Of of you know there's there's a um, it it it's mostly unsaid it does come out like briefly but like it, it just again goes to the writing of like you know they decided not to actually give physical birth that they they adopted loose they adopted this kid from another country um and then that's sort of like a conflict between them that um tim ross character you know wanted to actually have kids he talks about like oh i love babies like that happens I think pretty early in the movie before things really start to get like tension filled. And you're like, Oh, okay. So this is going to be a point of tension later on. Um, But the line that really made me cringe is like, they're having a discussion and it's like, does everything we do have to be a fucking political statement? I think was the line he said. And (laughs) And that was the other line that made me cringe of like, Oh yeah. Like, because I think that like, Despite the best intentions, I think that happens a lot where, you know, somebody of, of not a certain culture, you know, feels the need to step in while, again, while, well intentioned maybe isn't, um, you know, the right thing to do, maybe stand down a bit. And so that, that was sort of like a, like a, I, I would say like a inward, uh, look as, at that scene. I'm like, oh, that, yeah, just made me cringe. Do you have any other final thoughts on, on, uh, on loose before we, uh start to
1: wrap this up. Yeah, I mean, I just man, there's just so much happening in this film. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much happening in this film. But it's still I um I always return back to um Octavia Spencer's character and just her acting throughout this film. I mean, she's so good. Spent her whole her, her whole career being the the black best friend and that like I said, that final confrontation where um and where we don't know if she's good or she's bad because the the film has inserted so much pathos to her character through her sister, um, and yet he, you know there's a part of you that just like finds her despicable, and then there's a part of you that also feels her because it because she's been turned into this into this person who's deciding which black. Kid succeeds, which black kid doesn't, because the external ra- world around her, because of the systematic racism that exists around her, um, and so in a sense, she's a victim of the system as well as a person who, much like Luce, in some way has to, um, I don't know, kind of like almost, I don't want to say she completely denies her blackness, but she she denies a portion of her personality which says that she's going to be on the side of blackness no matter if it is exceptional or not
0: what you just said is so profound i almost don't even want to end with what i wanted to say as a final thought because i <laughs> it's not even remotely close to it as as profound as that but it's yeah i i'm i'm right there i could like i cannot i cannot recommend this movie enough really like i i just like i'm still racking my brain around it but i i'd just one of the best movies of the year and and spencer no small part of it like she is fantastic and like you said she's like you know ever since she won that oscar for the help which he is very good in but like you know she's been pretty much cast in that role like either the best friend or the like you know maid or in like a period piece you know whatever the case may be and I feel like, you know, here she really, really gets a chance to shine, show different, um, you know, different shades, different subtleties. And and it's a really impressive performance. Um, and the last thing, only the last thing I was going to say, and I was going to point it from your review. I, I was thinking of this after I looked up uh, Julius Ona after the fact. And um, you mentioned in your review um, that... Ona is a prime example of why people, color and female directors should be given as many chances as their white counterparts. Um, You know, despite the movie being about that, like, you know, that second chance that, that often isn't granted. Um, But I mentioned at the top, he did the Cloverfield paradox, a movie that by all accounts is not good and was not received as, as good. Um, And you mentioned this in your review, any sort of, um, you know, if that was, I think if that was a theatrical release, we wouldn't have got a movie like loose, but I feel like because that was a Netflix movie and because it was sort of a, like, you know, the numbers probably did okay. Streaming wise and Netflix will never release their numbers, even though it was a critical bomb. We don't, we can't gauge how that movie was a success or a failure. So I think we're, we're fortunate that that movie never saw theatrical release and therefore ONA was not punished and then got to make loose.
1: Yeah. You know, and, um, well I said, and, and that movie had come out um, four years ago. Paradox uh, numbers or no numbers, I don't know if I if, <laughs> would have gotten a second chance. That's true. Too. That's true. Yeah, that's that's a pretty it's pretty recent development of you know what? Maybe you know maybe we should really try our best to find the next Ryan Coogler, <laughs> um, more than giving one film.
0: Yeah, no, that's a valid point. Like you're right. I think even four years ago. That that would have been a different story, like you said, theatrical or not theatrical. But I, I think given given the slowly, very slowly, but fortunately shifting changing of the tides, p- coupled with the fact that you know who no one knows what the financial sort of stake of that movie is w- or was, excuse me, um, that that loose got to happen, and just very fortunate that it did for
1: sure. Oh yeah, I mean, like I said, this this film it feels like it's a film that. Um... It's every every film that's been questioning diversity and representation has been building to and I really really hope as many people see this film as possible because I I certain films I think when you view them make you a better person coming out of them mm-hmm. and I think this is one of them
0: I would agree and the other thing I, I guess I would implore and, and granted maybe people have stopped listening because we did put a spoiler tag on it but um for those still listening, um, this is a very entertaining and thought-provoking movie. Like, it, it, it is an issues movie, but it's not a capital-I issues movie. I feel like, you know, it doesn't bill itself as such. It is a conversation starter, and I think that's important. But I also think the movie doesn't forget to be, like, both confrontational confrontational as well as entertaining. Like, it, it is not a it is not one of those chore to sit through, you know, movies like it, it is very, very like exciting and, but ask the tough questions. And I think that's thankfully, like you said, it's, it's like all those issues movies have been building towards this that have viewed it in like a simplistic light. And now we have a movie like this. Yeah. Hard agree. Awesome. Well, all right, let's, let's, uh, I think that's a good spot to end. Let's, let's go ahead and uh, wrap this episode up. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, thank you Robert again for joining me. I think for 2 weeks in a row. I know I know it's a lot, so I really really appreciate it. And um so uh, where can people find more of your work online?
1: So yes, you can find my work on 812 film reviews. Um let's see Angry Birds, I'm going to have that review up probably by tomorrow. And then you can also find my my review for Loose on Mediaversity. Uh I think by the latest Tuesday.
0: Awesome! I look forward to reading that. I've read your review on Eight Twelve. I'm very excited to check out the the Mediaversity review for it for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, Mediaversity. Um, there's Mediaversity in the difference between Mediaversity and the Eight Twelve is Mediaversity does um, representation diversity reviews, which basically means that we it goes over the representation within the film. So, Loose is the perfect perfect film for that site.
0: Oh, absolutely! Well, I cannot. I cannot wait to read it. Um, so you said that'll be coming about no later than Tuesday. You said probably Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, but probably Tuesday. Got it. Okay, so be sure to check that out, people listening. Uh, just a couple bit of housekeeping before we officially wrap up once again this episode is a part of the playlist podcast network so if you enjoy this show be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice be it soundcloud be it stitcher be it itunes spotify however you get your shows and you'll get this show as well as our other programs including the fourth wall be real indie beat and the various interviews that pop up on our site from time to time a little bit of scheduling for the next episodes uh next week uh, I will be joined by, uh, returning guests, be joined by Jenny Nolfe to do a sort of summer recap, summer, uh, wrap up, sort of discuss both the state of the industry of the film summer as a whole, as well as talk about some movies that we didn't discuss on a full episode. Uh, and then this show is actually going to take a two week break after that, um, I am expecting my first child, and it could come any day now, so um, I'm going to, oh. yes, so
1: we're going to, congrats, right? Oh,
0: thank you, thank you, I guess I feel like I haven't probably said that on this show and to our listeners, so um, I should put that out there, and so uh, we're going to take two weeks off, the summer is going to be winding down at that point, point. Uh, and then we'll return the weekend of September 6th through the 8th with a review of It Chapter 2. Um so you can expect that coming soon. Uh, but thank you again, Robert, for coming on the show and thank you for listening to our listeners. And we'll catch you on the next episode.